When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. From New York City, this is Lexicon Valley, a podcast about language. I'm John McWhorter at Columbia University. You may remember me from books such as Our Magnificent Bastard Tongue, The Untold History of English, or more recently, out this September, Words on the Move, Why English Can't and Won't Sit Still Like Literally. Today, I want to do a follow-up on the show that I did about Billy and me or Billy and I going to the store. That one was about the first person. It was mostly about I, me, and we. And it got me to thinking that in the vein of showing that our pronouns are actually more variable and more interesting and often just of a different nature than we might think, it might be nice to take a tour through the other pronouns and some quirks in their history to see that the way the pronouns are now is quite different from the way they used to be for all sorts of reasons, such that you can think of today's pronouns as just one stage in a long roller coaster ride. Today, we want to talk about the second and the third person pronouns in English. And let's start with the second person, which, if you speak modern English, is just one pronoun, you. So there's you in the singular, you little boy, go get the lamp off of the table, or you in the plural, you little girls, go get the lamp off of the table. That seems perfectly normal to us. But if you think about it, it's a little odd that we use that same pronoun in both the singular and the plural. If it's French, then it's tu and vous. And if you're dealing with Spanish, tu and usted, in any language that you can think of, you're supposed to have a singular one and a plural one. It's in English that for some reason we say both you and you. Now, if you happen to speak Hindi, then you're used to a similar situation. But a great many of us do not speak Hindi. And it bears mentioning that really a language is supposed to, if you want to put it in a general fashion, have two second person pronouns. Why is it that English is like that. It didn't used to be like that. We used to have thou. Thou was the singular and you was plural. But then as time went by, things got simpler in English. And it's a general theme in how our language developed. And it makes a lot of people think that that's what happens to languages in general when it isn't. English in many ways is a very odd thing as languages go. Most certainly, the simplificatory trend in English begins with what those Vikings did from Scandinavia when they invaded starting in 787 AD. And here were people who spoke a related but different language, Old Norse, and they spoke Old English functionally, but frankly, not perfectly. They tended to leave out the nasty little details, even though their language was rather similar. That's how languages go when they're in contact. So Middle English ended up being 
a lot more streamlined than Old English. Not as much noun mess in terms of case endings, not as many conjugational endings in the verbs. Everything became much more user friendly. And then after that, even throughout Middle English, English kept becoming easier. And the reasons for that are less easy to identify, but the trend is definitely there. Things just started blowing away as if English was a sick tree and the leaves were falling off. One of those things was what happened to the second person pronouns. And so it started out that there was thou and then an object form thee. And then over in the plural, you had ye as in hear ye, and then you was the object form. But as time went by, that object form, if you could call it that, started taking over completely and there was no more ye. Hint, hint, in terms of how pronouns work to harken back to the earlier show, what we think of as an object is often much more than that in English. You was exemplifying that same trend, just as me, as I said in that earlier show, really is the only first person singular pronoun and I is just a very special case. But what happened was that you started being used in a special way. You could use it with one person, and it was a kind of polite trick. You would call a single person you as a way of implying that they were sort of two people, which is a way of indicating respect. And that was a European tendency, and most of us are familiar with it in the way that you use something like vous in French. Very common. And it's generally thought that English's you was used that way because of the influence of French when French speakers took over the country for centuries. So you have this you. It's analogous to a king referring to themselves as we. The idea being that if you're a really special sort of person, then there is in some sense more than one of you. So for a while, there was a very interesting system between thou and you, where people in the upper classes called one another you, and people in the lower classes called those people in the upper classes you. You use you upward. In the lower classes, people referred to one another as thou, and also people in the upper classes referred to people lower than them as thou. Then it also got very subtle. You used thou when you were talking to God and spirits, And also, you could toggle between thou and you when you were talking to the same person to change tone. And we see beautiful examples of this in the work of another subject of one of my podcasts, Mr. Shakespeare. So, for example, in King Lear, quite early, in the very beginning, as a matter of fact, you have Lear addressing Cordelia. And he starts out using the thou forms, thou, thee, and thine. And then he switches to the you forms to indicate a change of tone. So listen here to Lear addressing Cordelia after he has spoken to her two sisters. And this is Simon Russell Beale, as a matter of fact, the magnificent Simon Russell Beale. This is the National Theater. He is using first the thou forms. To thee and thine hereditary ever remained this ample third of our fair kingdom, no less in space, validity, and pleasure than that conferred on Goneril. But then, after he says this, now he's getting to the point, and he loves his daughter, and he wants to indicate a certain esteem, a certain urgency. Now he goes to you. What can you say to draw a third more opulent than your sisters be? 
Now, after he says this, Cordelia has a long speech and we're not going to play that. But basically, she says, but dad, I will totally love my husband and you at the same time. Lear doesn't like that. And notice the pronoun that he uses now. Sure, I shall never marry like my sisters to love my father or... But goes thy heart with this? Ay, my good lord. So young and so untender. So young, my lord, and true. (laughs) So now he's talking to her like a kid again. So he switches back and forth. The second person was very rich in this earlier English. And I openly admit, despite the fact that I think that society would benefit from adjusted versions of Shakespeare, that if you take that away, there's no way of indicating that subtle difference in modern English. Any kind of translation or even adjustment would lose that. But then on the other hand, because we don't feel those distinctions spontaneously these days, we can't hear it in the original either. And so you can definitely say that English has lost something in losing that subtle distinction between thou and you. But we have lost it by the first half of the 1600s, roughly. Basically, after Shakespeare, you ended up edging out thou completely. The idea became that even relatively quote-unquote low people could be referred to as you. The idea was a spread, although slow, of democratic feeling. Now, in many places, what happened is that people made more use of the thou form. And so there's a kind of a two-ness that spread throughout Europe. In England, instead, it was the you, vu form that spread. And this is one of those things where you have to build an element of chance into your models of how languages change. If any of you saw the original Jurassic Park film, I haven't seen it since then, but I'll bet the dinosaurs now look like they were made of polystyrene. But I remember they tried to get across Michael Crichton's explanation of chaos theory in the book, which was pretty deft, with one little scene where Jeff Goldblum is flirting with Laura Dern, and he explains chaos theory by holding his hand up, and he gets some water from somewhere, and he puts a drop of water on his hand, and he explains that the water might flow down one side of his hand if he does it at one point, and down another side of his hand if he does it at another point, and that's chaos theory. Now, obviously, that does not quite sum up the complexities of the theory, but let us allow that his hand was perfectly level. The truth is you can't know which way the drop is going to go. Language change can be like that. And why thou did not spread in English as opposed to you is most likely one of those things. But these days, thou is rustic. And so I'm talking about what happened in standard English. But if you examine fascinatingly obscure varieties of English to us in America over across the pond, then you find ones, and it's quite common, where thou is, or until recently was, still very much part of the language. Lady Chatterley's lover is handy for this if you don't feel like dwelling in obscure dialectology. And so when the groundskeeper says, the moon come one night to the cottage afore the gone, that means you must come one night to the cottage before you go. The moon, you must come one night to the cottage afore the gone, before thou goes. So Thou gets shortened to the, just like anything probably gets shortened if it's used a lot, but he's using the thou. And of course, he's referring to Lady Chatterley in an intimate way for the rather obvious reason. But really, don't you kind of wish that we had thou and you instead of just you and you? It seems kind of blank. It's kind of overworking poor little you. And in fact, there's a natural human impulse to be clear 
and tidy, as difficult as that can be to believe in some ways, we try to fix our second person problem and we only get jeered and laughed at. And so, for example, one way you might fix it is if you're stuck with just you and you can't use thou anymore, wouldn't it be nice if with was and were, see, now I'm self-conscious because I've heard that I say war instead of were. My students have told me about it. And now some of you are telling me about it. So I'm going to try to say were. You was and you were. So the idea was that you originally occurred with were because it was in the plural. You had I was, you were, he, she, it was, and then we were, you all were, they were. Well, if you want to make it better and you're stuck with you, wouldn't it be better if you could even it out and have it be as I was, you was, he, she, it was, then we were, you all were, and they, darn, I'm going to say it the way I want to say it just this once, war. So wouldn't that be nice? Actually, John and Abigail Adams used you was between one another in their letters. It's one of the weirdest things about just the linguistic aspect of their correspondence. I was wondering where you was and you're waiting for them to say were because we think of them as such formal people because he was a founding father and they're both kind of dead. But no, it was you was. But Robert Loth, who wrote a founding description of the English language, didn't like you was. He thought it was wrong because it used to be you were. And his work was extremely influential. And as a result, largely of Robert Loth, it said, today we don't say you was unless we are being colloquial. Or think about y'all and yous and yuns. These are attempts that any sane human being makes to fix our second person pronoun problem. But, of course, y'all and yous and yuns are things that we giggle at. If you're synesthetic, you think of y'all, yous, and yuns as smelling like a sandwich full of cured meats with various sauces. It's somehow not something that you bring out for formal occasions. Although, really, if we could just say y'all, then we would have a much tidier and, in its way, more complex language. And it's interesting about y'all because Y'all, we all have a certain fondness for it, but there's something we know about y'all, or most of us know about y'all, which is that it's supposed to be plural, and therefore, if you imitate Southerners using y'all with one person, you're making a mistake because you're not supposed to use y'all with one person. It's plural. And so, for example, here is a dandy old song. We're in 1934, and the lyric is written by, and the song is sung by Johnny Mercer, who actually was a Georgian. He was from Savannah. So he knew this technically. I imagine he was having fun with his native dialect. But listen to how he uses y'all in the lyric. Pardon my southern accent, pardon my southern draw. May sound funny all, but honey, I love y'all. If you don't like my accent... So that's cute, but you wouldn't address one person as y'all. But you know, this is this is the thing. There should be a word for the kind of thing I'm about to show you. There's some factoid that you know. It's usually a correction of some general misimpression. But then there's something equally interesting that goes from that correction of the misimpression and tells us something that's more valuable even than the correction of the misimpression. There should be a word for this. Maybe we need to make one up. But this is what I mean. You can 
actually is being shown. Use y'all in the singular in a certain way. If somebody says after you as you're leaving a store in the South, y'all come back you here, it might be that you're just alone and they'll say y'all. That isn't that they're misusing their own dialect the way Johnny Mercer playfully was. They're implying that it's not just you, but other people, because it's a little direct. It's a little pushy to say you, you one person, you come back. Y'all refers to you and also to some hypothetical other people that presumably are with you out in the car or probably you have some friends or a spouse or something. And so it's y'all because that's a little gentler. That's more polite. It doesn't basically jam a pointer finger right into your forehead. So people are using y'all in a way that's rather like people used to use you in English, the way you can use vu even today. It's becoming a kind of polite pronoun. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. How about the third person? First person is me. Second person is you. So that's a conversation. It's me talking to you, you talking to me. Then third person is something exterior to that. We're talking about the distant realm. We're talking about that which is not us. This is the third person realm, and it's a delicate thing. And so, for example, as I'm recording this, the media is vibrating with discussion of various things about a certain Mr. Trump, one of which is his tendency to refer to not African-Americans, but the African-Americans. And it rubs people the wrong way. And it's because in saying the African-Americans, it puts African-Americans at a certain remove, as if they're a topic in some kind of corral rather than citizens among us. It's this third-person realm, and it's highlighting how third rather than first or second African-Americans might seem to a person who would refer to them as the African-Americans. Trump isn't alone in using the third person in a way that can feel a little chilly. And so, for example, back in 2008, there was a, I guess you could call it a meme that got around when John McCain was debating Barack Obama. And I do not remotely want to imply that at least I personally have any kind of feelings about John McCain of the kind which I openly will say here that I do about Donald Trump. But it was awkward. He actually referred to Barack Obama not as the senator or you know my colleague or Barack, but he referred to him as that one. Remember this? Here's a clip. It was an energy bill on the floor of the Senate loaded down with goodies, billions for the oil companies. And it was sponsored by Bush and Cheney. You know who voted for it? You might never know. That one. You know who voted against it? Me. I have fought a time Here's the thing. In many languages, third person pronouns come exactly from that one. It's actually quite common. If you want to ask where pronouns come from, there are lots of things to say. The easiest thing to say is that in the third person, it's often going to come from words that mean things like that, or more specifically, that one. One of them 
is humble little she. There's a whole controversy over where she comes from, because you'd think that in Old English, there would have been some word you might guess that it was she. But actually, it's not that simple, because in Old English, one of the weird things about Old English, if you're learning how to read it, or if you want to speak it, if you're somebody who enjoys talking to yourself, then he is hey, and then she was this weird, ugly word, heo. So, hey, heo. Now, as you can imagine, over time, heyo started sounding more like hey. And so you had this awkward situation where he and she were beginning to sound rather alike. And that's not the way it had been before. So speakers started seeking some way to distinguish he and what was becoming basically he in the same way. Now, there's one theory that he became she via huh coming to be pronounced sh. But it's one of those things where you keep saying it to yourself, but you know that you don't really believe it. The idea is that you start with hey, then you might say hey, and then you might say hey, and then you might say hey, hey, say, 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 say. Yeah, all right. But, you know, that actually always felt kind of like, you know, that early episode of The Simpsons where at one point, Mr. Burns is trying to get something over on Springfield, and they all go, boo! And then Mr. Burns says, wait, 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 Smithies, are they booing me? Uh, no, they're saying boo Burns, boo Burns. Are you saying boo or boo Burns? Well, no, they weren't saying boo Burns. And then Ned Molman comes up before the commercial and says, I was saying boo Burns. I mean, that's wonderful, but no, they weren't <laughs> And in the same way, there's no, uh, I mean, there was some support for the case, but it was always thin. It was like a fence blowing in a tornado. Really, there was a really better source for something that comes out as she, which is that the word for that one that was feminine. So if you meant that, I don't know how to translate it, but something like that womanly one, then what you said was seo. And that is almost certainly where she came from. And it's becoming increasingly clear that that's the more economic explanation. And so basically, she came from that one, that girly one, if you want to put it in a certain way. And after a while, nobody thought of it that way at all, because English used to have a whole array of words for the, and sale was the feminine word for the. They all basically collapsed into one word, the, so nobody thought of Saya, which became she, as meaning that womanly one. It just meant she. But that's where it came from. It came from that one. And actually, there are English specialists who are moving towards a similar story for the third person plural, for they. Now, the common story, and a lot of you may know it, is that they and them and there were borrowed from the Old Norse that those annoying Vikings spoke. The idea is supposed to be that he was hey, she was heyo, and then they was here. All three of those words, hey, heyo, and here, are ominously similar, and here was starting to sound like hey too. So the idea is that the Vikings come, and well, at least they had a word they in the third person plural, and so somehow their pronoun jumped over into English. But, you know, that's never been a very graceful story because here are these people 
They speak Old Norse. They're trying to learn English because they're communicating with English speakers. Now, it's one thing for them to contribute their words for things like you know, skirts and dikes, as in something that's kind of like a ditch, things like that. And actually, they contributed a great many other words, too. If you sing the old song, Get Happy, which I'm sure we all do from time to time, get and happy are both originally Norse words. But pronouns, generally, if you look at what happens when languages come into contact, they don't share their pronouns very much. It can happen. And those linguists out there who are familiar with the real in the weeds literature on this, I know it can happen. But if you think about it, it happens under certain special circumstances. And if you're talking about real pronoun pronouns, not things that actually mean something else like your majesty or the like, languages don't borrow pronouns much. It's kind of like people don't use each other's toothbrushes very much. It's, it happens, you know, there are situations in youth hostels or those who just kind of like to let it all hang out, but really you don't want to put somebody else's toothbrush in your mouth. And the pronouns are kind of like that. Well, you know, when English had all of those thes, it had special plural thes. And the plural, the, was tha. It was right there. And so you can jigger with tha and you can come up with a nice they. And if you were using that well to dip into to get yourself a she, why not a they? Especially because up in the north, they, as often as not, was the. So really, it was more of this that one phenomenon. The Norse may have had a kind of a sideline influence, but it's very easy to imagine that really people just started recruiting those old the words to become new pronouns. But it really is like toothbrushes. And that's why these days, while many of us are looking for a new pronoun to be gender neutral, such as Z, it's tough. You can get a certain in-group using it, but to spread it to the rest of society is hard, whether we like it or not, because pronouns sit very deep in the brain. That's real hardware for us. It's baked really deeply in. And that means that if we're going to have a gender neutral pronoun, it would really be nice if we did, we probably need to dip into the well that we're already drinking from. And that's why, actually, for a very, very, very long time, I'm talking 1300s long time, we've been using they for that. And many people tell us, well, no, they is plural. You can't use they in the singular. You know, people have been for a while. And the question really is, if I say, tell each student they can hand in their paper tomorrow, is that wrong because they, quote unquote, is plural when we all understand that in that particular usage, they is singular? Of course, we, some of us like to keep our food apart on the plate. I am one of those people, actually. But when we need a gender neutral pronoun, if we agree that we need one, and we know that introducing things like Z or back in the day, people tried he as in he and she never seems to work, maybe there's room for opening up to new ways of doing it. And there will be controversy over this. For example, um, Brian Garner is someone who is very interested in proper speech and proper writing, and he has some widely consulted books on what proper English is supposed to be. And, you know, I 
Don't mean to be petty about this, but Mr. Garner is not a fan of yours truly. And I have to address one thing that he has written about me. He says in one of his books, my friend said they might come over by themselves this afternoon. And then Mr. Garner says, how can such a statement be consistent with graceful oral and written expression? Well, Brian, of course, one could say that it isn't. And I'm not saying that we can use they whenever we want to. We have to sometimes come up with other ways of saying things. But more to the point, Let's take that sentence that Garner came up with. My friend said that they might come over by themselves this afternoon. Just last night, I happened to be watching Inside Amy Schumer, and she interviewed a trans person. And that trans person actually was using sentences along the lines of, my friend said they might come over by themselves this afternoon. And I was thinking, hmm. 50 years ago, that would have been an odd way to talk. But this person was using a sentence like that with considerable fluency and comfort and casualness. And I found it hard to hear it as somehow wrong because 50 years ago, someone wouldn't have said it. I think what we're seeing is language change. And so my friend said they might come over by themselves this afternoon. If I say that over and over again, that sounds like normal English to me, especially because it certainly doesn't interfere with clarity. So Brian, people might differ for legitimate reasons about matters like this. Just a grab bag of other little things about pronouns. Keeping things tidy. You don't want your scrambled eggs mixed up with the kale or whatever you're eating. So he, she, it. It used to be hey, heyo. And then was it it? No, it was tidy. They all began with H. They were ducks in a row. Quack. It was hey, heyo, hit. Now, the huh wore off, and so now we have it. But, you know, in some dialect literature, you can still find it as hit. It's really interesting. Zora Neale Hurston actually is good for this. She has her rural black characters in the early 20th century, speaking a very authentic, early-ish black English. And their sentences like, it's got to be kept up. And then what she means is, or it'll turn back on you. And the way it was said in this kind of English was, it's got to be kept up. Do hit will turn back on you. Do hit will turn back on you. The do is completely foreign to us, but that means lest or if you don't. It's got to be kept up. Do hit will turn back on you. The huh is not a typo. It is a remainder of the fact that it actually used to be hit. Go figure. Another thing. Say habla espanol. To utter that sentence with a perfect accent, Spanish is spoken here. The say, the impersonal pronoun. European languages have them. English takes poor little you as if it wasn't working so hard already and uses it for that too. So you speak English here. You learn things like this if you want to get along in this town. How come we don't have our own impersonal pronoun? French has its on. German has man, and you know, Old English had man. We used to have an impersonal pronoun. It was so deeply set that there was a short form. It was just m. And so we were a normal language. And so, for example, way, way back, here's an ancient English sentence. One should not be obedient except in good. And so, mana'altabin, one not ought to be, mana'altabin, Hersome, obedient, except in good, buta of goda. So, mana altabin hersome buta of goda, 
M is not me. It meant one. It was mon naaltabine. One shouldn't be. It was quite normal. In Cumberland, in Britain, way back in the early 20th century, you could find people still using it in highly idiomatic sentences. So if somebody said, I tell you, a regular knave dick is, if somebody wanted to say that, they would say, I tell you, min is a regular knave dick is, meaning one is, he's that type. So I tell you, min is a regular knave dick is, we had an impersonal pronoun. And finally, we had a duel. What is he talking about? What I mean is, you could say, I did it, and you meant me. Now, if it was you and Thomasina and Dick, then we did it. Okay. But if it was just you and Thomasina, just the two of you, wit did it. There was a pronoun that you used when it was only two. That's called a duel. Many languages in the world have this. English hasn't for a very long time, but we had wit. So, I, wit, and we. And you could do that in the second person, too. And so you could say, well, thou did it. And then if it was thou, Thomasina, and Dick did it, then you did it. But if it was just thou and Dick, then yit did it. And so thou, yit, and you. We had a much richer system. Now we're stuck with our paltry little system that we have today, which is not only paltry, but it confuses us because we're told that the ways that we use it and the ways that we try to make it better are all wrong. Life is fascinating. Tell us your thoughts about the show. You can reach us at lexiconvalley at slate.com. That's lexiconvalley at slate.com. Follow us on Twitter at lexiconvalley. Steve Lichtai is the executive producer of Slate Podcasts, and Andy Bowers is the chief content officer of the Panoply Network. This show was edited by Mike Volo. I'm John McWhorter. Thanks so much for listening, and see you back here in two weeks. Forget your troubles, come on, get happy. You better chase all your cares away. Shout hallelujah, come on, get happy. Get ready for the judgment day. The sun is shining, come on, get happy. The Lord is waiting to take your hand. Shout hallelujah.